You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. The local people going after local people is actually increasing quite a bit because it's easier to learn how to do these scams now. You can buy a kit online, go on the dark web or certain uh, Facebook uh, group chats. You can buy a kit and learn how to scam your neighbor. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. We've got some good stories to share this week, and later in the show, my conversation with Keith Houston. He is Chief Prosecutor for Cyber and Financial Crime at the Harris County District Attorney's Office in Houston, Texas. He is sharing some stories about scams that have come through his office, as well as advice on how to best protect yourself. But first, a word from our sponsor, Know Before. Where would InfoSec professionals be without users making security mistakes? Working less than 60 hours per week, perhaps. Actually having a weekend every so often. We get it. User behavior can be a challenge. But users can also be an InfoSec professional's greatest asset once properly equipped. What do we mean by that? Well, stay with us, and in a few minutes, we'll hear from our sponsors at Know Before on that very question. All right, Joe, uh, before we get to our stories here, we have some follow-up. What do you got for us? Yeah, this is an interesting uh, thing. It's scary, actually, very scary, that Neville wrote in and told us about. Uh, he says, Dear Dave and Joe, I just came across this interesting but scary news item that described a pen drive bomb or a USB drive bomb. Yeah. Uh, yet another reason to not plug in pen drives from unknown sources. Yeah. What do you do when you're a reporter and someone sends you uh, a scoop in a pen drive? And it, it's a, a link it to, to the reporter in the, the, the booth next to you. <laughs> right, yeah. It's a link to a BBC article uh, that talks about a, an attack on these reporters in Ecuador huh. where they sent uh, – somebody sent a bunch of small bombs that were uh, – that would detonate when they were plugged into a USB port. Wow. So that's – terrifying to me. Mm. Uh, these reporters apparently were getting into something they didn't, that somebody didn't want them to get into. Right. Uh, so that this, uh, essentially just an act of terror was carried out on them. Mm. One person was injured. No one was killed. There were numerous, uh, devices sent in. Uh, and it was, it, it had a, um, a note on it that said, Hey, here's a scoop for you oh. in Spanish. Uh, you know, I'm not as fluent in Spanish as I need to be, but it's, uh, yeah. you know, it, it's, it's there. And uh, the guy that got injured uh, had his hand injured when it happened Oof. because pro- presumably he was touching the device. Right, uh, right. Somebody wants to send these guys a message. Uh, Graham Cluley, uh, who also had an article on this, noted that these attacks are rare, uh, but digital attacks are not so rare. Mm. So a uh, friend of the show had an article as well. Yeah. Um, and now here's my question for you, Dave. Do we use this story 
as a, as an example of worst case scenario, or is that just fear mongering? I think it's fear mongering. I, I yes. I mean, I I don't think this is something. I don't think this is a fear we should put into people. It's not a realistic fear. I mean, right. this was a specific case of someone who was targeted. Yes. Uh, by bad people. I'm going to presume organized crime. Probably. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, going after them. I do recall. Haven't we talked about? Um, Devices that are designed to just damage your computer, like they'll blow out your USB port. Yeah, the um, that works very similarly because what happens is when you plug a USB device in, the first thing that happens is it's supplied with five volts of power. Right, uh, and there's a certain amperage limit that you can that you have. Uh, and what these other devices did was they just charged a bunch of capacitors with that five volts. Oh, and I see. Even if you do that at low amperage. It's fine, but what they do is once the capacitors were fi- were filled, is they would just dump all that amperage back across the uh, the circuit board, back mm-hmm. across the interface. I think over the data lines hmm. uh, into the computer and either burn up the USB or possibly reach further into the. It's a power surge, essentially a deliberate yeah. power surge. Huh. Okay. Now I have a way to get around this and to defend against it. Okay. So if you're a reporter and you get, hey, here's a scoop, you can just get an extension cord. And get one of those USB uh, charging bricks that has a USB plug on the end of it. Uh-huh. And then plug the USB into that, plug that into the end of the extension cord, then walk to the end of the, you know, extension cord 100 feet away. Like around the corner. Right, around the corner <laughs> and plug it in. Okay. And if you hear a loud pop, then you just saved yourself some <laughs> some injury and possibly your life. I don't know. I, I think if this is in your uh, your risk profile, for that, that exploding USB devices are in your risk profile, Yeah. Uh, maybe you're going to know that and have some kind of relationship with your local bomb squad or something. I don't know. <laughs> right. I, maybe a, a, put it inside of a safe. I don't know. It just seems like... Better safe than sorry when it comes to explosives. Yeah, right? I would agree. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, aside from what I just described, I don't know how you discern if this is a bomb or not. I um, guess you could x-ray it. You could x-ray right? it. Yeah. That, that would probably work. Yep. Yeah. Just visit your local airport and just ask the people there. They just love when when strangers ask them to x-ray things. Yeah, x-ray this for me. Because they're not very busy. One thing, one word they love here at the airport is bomb. Yeah. Right? Right. Right. Exactly. Say, listen, I'm not sure. This may be explosive. Will you just just run this through for me? I'm just curious, really. Yeah. That'll go well for you. Yeah. Don't ever, ever say the word bomb, even as a joke in the airport. No. No, it will not end well for you. Yeah. All right. Well, our thanks to uh, Neville for sending that in. We do appreciate it. Uh, We would love to hear from you. If you've got some follow-up for us, you can email us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. Joe, let's dig into our stories here. What do you got for us this week? So, Dave, last week I had the the warning from the FTC about artificial intelligence scam calls. Yes. And this week I actually have two links to articles from the CBC— that's mm-hmm. the Canadian Broadcasting Company. Right. Uh, and the first one is a YouTube video of a broadcast uh, with Mark Quinn, who's a reporter for the CBC, uh-huh. talking about somebody getting scammed out of ten grand with one of these family emergency scam calls. Ooh. And the woman is actually on camera in this one, and she says it sounded like her son, if I'm remembering this correctly, it sounded yeah. like her son on the phone, but he had a, it sounded like he had a cold. And he said, do you have a cold? And the response was, 
yes, I have a cold, but it's not COVID, so I'm going to be fine. Hmm. And then the guy puts the other uh, scammer on the phone who's pretending to be a police officer. They're saying this guy's been in a car accident and he's being held in custody oh. and he needs about uh, $10,000 in, in bail. Or maybe it was a lawyer. Huh. Uh, but it's – so this this scam is now happening. Yeah. Uh, there's another story. Uh, this is actually a, um, uh, a, a written story that we'll put a link to as well uh, from Ryan Cook from the CBC where he talks about a, a grandparent scam with voice cloning uh, where this person lost $200,000, which wow. is a lot of money to lose. Yeah. Uh, I, I can't begin to imagine the impact this is having on this family. But these attacks are happening now, apparently, in Canadian. Canadia. Canadia. <laughs> I have jokingly said Canadia so many times. It's how I say Canada. Okay. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, the, the Mounties are going to look uh, look down their noses at you at the border next time you try to cross there. Joe. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> I, look, I look down my nose back at them. <laughs> of course, they're on horses, so I right. can't look down at them at all. Um, so this is becoming a, uh, a, an issue now. Uh, at least as far as it's happening in Canada. Mm -hmm. It's not, I don't know that I've seen any stories of it happening here in the U.S., but that doesn't mean that the U.S. is invulnerable. Of course. Uh, I am really concerned about this this issue. This voice cloning has now gotten good enough. Now, Dave, I want to ask you this question. Yes. Because in the past, you have said you are dubious of these kind of claims. Mm -hmm. Are you still so dubious? No, not anymore. No, I I think it's completely plausible now. Yep. I think when we last talked about it, uh, absolutely. I, I, because we track. Remember, we traced it down, and it was one of those things where um, it was kind of like a game of journalistic telephone, right? Where one journalist reported something, or, or I think a journalist made a conclusion that wasn't exactly a hundred percent right, and that became the standard, and it just sort of ran from there. Right. And I was never able to find any confirmation. In fact, I got in touch with some people who were directly involved with the story, and it turned out that it had never happened. Like, it, it was more like, well, it could happen. This may be what happened. Um, it was kind of like when when a big company gets hit with some uh, <laughs> ransomware or something, and they right. say, you know, this was a sophisticated actors. Right. It must have been nation state folks who came after us, rather than you know, it was Bob in his basement. With There's a, nothing we could have done. Right, right. So it was that sort of thing. Um, but what was that? Maybe six months, a year ago. Right. A lot has changed since then. Yeah. And these, these models are out there. These uh, well, not models. They're uh, they're. I don't know if they're mo- – you make a model yeah. and then that becomes a, a – it generates speech based right. on the model. And they are so good. I they mean I, I could – I can good. easily imagine uh, just taking uh, hundreds of uh, little sound clips of, you know, what we jokingly refer to as here at the CyberWire as uh, Robo Dave, which is the, the synthesized <laughs> version of my voice. Right. Um, and just creating a soundboard. You know, soundboard software is – where you just have a bunch of buttons, and each of those buttons is assigned a different sound, and they could just be responses in my voice, totally convincing. And you could easily play that game real time. And if you needed something really specific, you could have one person, you know, doing a like a cough sound effect and just saying, oh, hold on, hold on, sorry, <coughs> you know, I've got something in my throat. Meanwhile, their partner is typing in this answer to have the synthesizer generate a specific answer yeah. to, to respond. So, right. yeah, 
I they've won won me over is probably the wrong way to say it, but right. uh, uh, yeah, I believe it's totally plausible now. So. I do too. I, I I do too. I think that this is. Uh, I've played with the 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 one that you recommended to mm-hmm. me. The one we played a sample from your of your voice synthesized with this. Right. Ele- something eleven. That ele- was from uh, elevenlabs.io. Elevenlabs.io. Yeah. I've played with that a little bit at home, and it's pretty darn good. Yeah. And it's only going to get better. Yep. All right. Uh, Is that it for you? That's it for me, Dave. All right. All right. Well, we will have links to those stories in our show notes. Uh, My story this week comes from the folks over at Akamai. Uh, This is some research that they recently published, um, and it's titled, The Most Common Combo Squatting Keyword is Support. Uh, Joe, combo squatting mean anything to you? Uh, that is a new one to me, Dave. I'd, <laughs> I'd like to know what the definition of combo squatting is before we move on. Right. Combo squatting is uh, not when you accidentally sit on your bag of delicious combos that you <sighs> just bought from That's the convenience store. <laughs> right. Every time we go on a plane, my wife buys a bag of combos. You know that's funny. Combos are an airplane food for me too. Really? I don't know why. I don't. I don't seek them out any other time. I it, guess it's the same with my wife. She gets them at the Hudson News at the airport. I, yes. And I, I do the same thing. Yeah. I, I think maybe it's just a very airplane friendly food. It's not. It's not messy. It does. Uh, you know, stick to your ribs a bit. So. Yep. Yeah. Huh, interesting. But that's not that. It's not combo that, no. squatting is, has nothing to do with sitting on a delicious bag of combos. Right. As our listeners are screaming into their mobile devices saying, get to the point. Right. Um, so combo squatting is kind of like typo squatting, which we've talked about before. So Correct. Typo squatting, you can describe that for us, Joe. Typo squatting is, uh, is a great social engineering trick that relies on somebody mistyping a uh, a word. And my favorite example of this is uh, while I was showing my boss the really cool site, this predates Facebook, mm-hmm. uh, highschoolalumni.com, I accidentally typed high school alumni. And if you look at your keyboard, the I is right next to the U. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was just a site that exploded pop-ups filled with porn on my <laughs> computer as my boss was standing behind me. But that's yeah. a great example of typo squatting. Yeah, yeah. So combo squatting uh, similarly is uh, combining multiple words to make a domain name. So, for example, uh, let's say that uh, I wanted to uh, do business with my favorite tech company, uh, Kerrigan Industries. Kerrigan Industries. Right? And so uh, Kerrigan Industries has uh, kerrigan.com as their domain address. I wish I had that domain address. (laughs) In our little fictitious thing here. Somebody else already has it. Yeah. Um, So there's nothing keeping me from registering Kerrigan-support.com. Correct. Or Kerrigan-help.com. Yes. Or any combination of those sorts of things. Mm -hmm. And combo squatting is just that. It's taking combinations of words, uh, usually using a popular brand name or something that people are familiar with, and then adding something to it to make a new domain. Um, And how this kind of short-circuits people's analysis is that they see the legit name in the URL. Right. They, in this case, they see the word Kerrigan, and it's spelled correctly. Yes. And there are no funny characters. It, it's just followed by a dash and then the word support. That's right. Yep. And it's also plausible that uh, a big uh, international uh, company like Kerrigan Industries would yes. have multiple domains to handle different things well, within their, their operations. Why wouldn't we do that? Right. Now, I, what, what we do is put support.kerrigan.com. Right. right. That's what normal, pe- what normal companies do. 
Yes. In fact, if you want to go to Microsoft support, that's what you do. You go to support.microsoft.com, not microsoft-tech-support.com. Right, right. So when people see that, uh, many people don't think much of it. And Correct. And because of that, combo squatting has become very popular uh, because it works. Uh, I'll bet it does, yeah. Does, does this research tell how well it works? Uh, they do. Uh, they say that, well, first of all, they say that the most popular combo word is support. Mm-hmm. So Kerrigan-support.com or, you know, uh, Microsoft-support.com and just add support to anything. And that seems to get through people's filters. So back in 2022, uh, Akamai analyzed this. And they said that combo squatting was the most commonly observed cyber squatting type in terms of unique domain names. So what they're saying is that um, they're using combo squatting as part of their attack vector more than other types of squatting. Probably because it's easier than coming up with uh, something that looks like Microsoft that's really like RN, R Microsoft, right? Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, Yeah. So they said some of the keywords to be careful of that come up a lot are uh, words like verification, account, mm-hmm. login, um, the word now, the word alert, um, the word free, the word promo. These are all kind of um, uh, what what seem to be benign words on their own and make sense as part of a company's day-to-day operations, but uh, they are not in this case. Uh, let me just list some of the most popular ones here. We already said that uh, support is the most popular keyword. Right. Uh, com is number two. Login is number three. Help is four. Secure is five. WWW is six, uh, which is interesting because you could do like, you could put, stick it on the other side of a word and right. say www.carrigan.com. Right. And you just get rid of that dot in there. Yep. People don't see that and... Off they go. Yeah, because everybody's conditioned to go to www.kerrigan.com. Yeah. yeah. That is a completely different don- domain name than www.kerrigan.com. Right. It, it's – I don't want to get into how domain name resolution works. Good. <laughs> <laughs> but suffice it to say, that would return a different IP address. Right, right. And then uh, rounding out the top ten are the words account, app, verify, and service. Mm. So I think this is something to be mindful of. Um, Again, if you want to get to a company, the best way to do it is through their front door. Correct. Uh, And I hate to say it, but these days it's hard to even trust Google for something like that. Yeah. Uh, Google has gotten a little bit better. I was thinking about this today as I was looking at some search results. Yeah. They they don't have that little ad that blends into the back of the background anymore. Mm-hmm. Now I have bold black text that says sponsored. Right. Still not great, but better than the old blend in the background ad. Yeah. I mean, I, I, my advice would be never click on one of those sponsored links because that's how the bad guys buy your, your traffic. Yeah. Um, but then also just be super mindful because it's not just that they're buying the links that's they're they're gaming the search engine optimization to get up towards the top of the listings as well. So, right. uh, just, you just gotta be vigilant and, and sad, sad to say it's getting harder and harder because they're getting more and more clever. So we'll have a link to this research from Akamai. Uh, I think it's interesting stuff. Uh, I think the thing to share with your friends and family is just let them know that this is a thing 
and that if you see these artificially extended versions of brand names you already know, there's a decent chance that uh, somebody's up to no good. All right, we will have a link to that story in our show notes. Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from Sean, who writes, Received an email warning from HR today. I've included the full message and the image below. And the email from HR reads, Several employees have reported receiving suspicious letters in the mail appearing to come from human resources. These letters contain a phony thank you card, a $100 gift card, as well as a USB thumb drive. Please exercise extreme caution if you receive such a letter. Do not insert the USB into your laptop and email our CERT, that's Security Incident Response Team, immediately uh, to report it. And Dave, can you take a look at this picture right here? Yeah. Look at this. Yeah. So what we've got here, a number of things. Uh, first of all, our listener includes the, uh, or the photo includes the outside of the envelope, mm-hmm. um, which has the address of the, the place they're sending it. Interesting to me that these scammers paid over $5 in postage to send right. this. That's, right. know, that's an investment. Uh the uh, the letter says at the top of it is a little card that says a huge thank you for giving your best each day, for never giving up, and for being a team player. Mm-hmm. It says a token of as a token of our appreciation. Please enjoy this gift card. It can be used to purchase items on the enclosed flash drive. Oh, right. So that's how they get you to plug the flash drive in. Huh. So they're kind of framing it as saying we've set up some kind of corporate store. Right. And the contents of that are on this flash drive. That's clever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I can see how that might work. I have a couple of things I've noticed about this package. Yeah. Uh, number one, the address that you send it, that it's sent to, and the return address are both the same address. Mm-hmm. Right? That tells me two things. Number one, I would be, as, a, as an employee of this company, I would be, why did they mail it? Right. Why did they spend $5.10 <laughs> to mail it to me when they could have right. just walked it over here. Yeah. Uh, and two, it's clear that they wanted this plugged into a corporate asset. Mm, mm-hmm. uh, the postmark is from a state that's about halfway across the country. Oh, I didn't notice that. That would have been something else that sent up a red flag for mm-hmm. me, I think. Yeah. Um, also, I have worked at large companies, and if I ever did that again, I would be very suspicious about anything that came from HR that starts with the words, a huge thank you. <laughs> Go on. <laughs> I'm just a little bit, a little bit bitter about HR people from large see. companies. Okay, it's a little cynical there. Yeah, it's a little cynical. <laughs> okay, yeah. uh, huge thank you. Yeah, right. Um, <laughs> Sean goes on to say that you have to respect these, uh, the creative approach and the investment on behalf of these attackers. Right. Uh, the hundred dollar gift card is probably stolen and never activated, which is probably correct. Just taken off the shelf. Taken off the shelf, and they walk out the store with it. Right. Still, they spent five dollars per attack in postage. Mm-hmm. Plus whatever it costs them to buy the uh, USB drives. Yeah. Now this looks like a particularly cheap USB drive. Uh, right. <laughs> it, it might not even be a USB drive. It might be a rubber duck. You know, which Who is knows? a uh, like a fake keyboard. Yeah. That goes in and enters a bunch of commands. Yeah. Who knows? But uh, I think you're right. It seems as though this is specifically targeting uh, enterprise. Yeah. Or tech organization. Well, this in this case perhaps a tech organization, but. Uh, 
this is a way to get inside a business's uh, systems. Right. They're not- just trying to get in there and then they're going to try to do some business email compromise. I think that's the next step because that's, or it might be ransomware, but yeah. I don't know. I'm, I would lean toward business email compromise because that's much more profitable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thanks to Sean for sending this in. Uh, That is interesting for sure. Uh, Again, we would love to hear from you. Our email address is hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. We were talking about making users into an asset for security professionals. Simply put, users want to do the right thing. They're often just lacking the knowledge to do so. That's one of the reasons Before has released Security Coach, a real-time security coaching tool that takes alerts from your existing security stack and sends immediate coaching to users who've taken risky actions. For example, imagine a user has visited a high-risk website or tried to open a document containing malware. Existing security tools will likely block that action, but the user might not understand why. Security Coach analyzes these alerts and provides users with relevant security tips via email or Slack, coaching them on why the action they just took was risky. Help users learn from their mistakes and strengthen your organization's security culture with Security Coach. Learn more about Security Coach at knowbefore.com slash securitycoach. That's knowbefore.com slash security coach. Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Keith Houston. He is chief prosecutor of cyber crimes in Harris County, Texas, and he was kind enough to reach out to us and Uh, Let us know that he had some interesting stories to share. Uh, Here's my conversation with Keith Houston. I did casino surveillance for about 10 years. Uh, I grew up in Las Vegas and started working in the casino industry when I was about 16 as a dishwasher and then got into the hotel industry, part of it, then into security and eventually into surveillance. I've basically been chasing con men my entire life, so... (laughs) What are your insights from that part of your job? I mean, for, for folks who who may not be familiar with the kinds of scams that people are trying to, to pull on casinos, I mean, is there, are there standard ones that you would see all the time or anything that stood out as being particularly clever? You see the, you know, the stuff you see on TV, like the card counters and stuff like that. And that's not, I mean, we do get some of that, but a lot of the theft that we saw was more, like social engineering in some ways. Uh, one of the big common ones when we still had coin in the casinos was what somebody would drop a, like a $5 bill on the floor and say, hey, look, you five, drop a $5 bill on the floor. And the person would bend over to pick it up. Somebody on the other side of the machine would reach between the machines and take their buckets of coin. So it's just a distracting graph. But it's just a matter of uh, applying to people's Greed, I guess. Oh, look, free $5, right. but I just lost the <laughs> money from the, from the slot machine. Right. So. And, and from your security point of view, you know, the, the infamous eye in the sky, uh, was it pretty obvious to you all when, when someone was working these sorts of scams? Did you just get an eye for it after a while? 
Yes, uh, you definitely get an eye for it after a while. And I was lucky enough to be trained by somebody who had been working in the casino. Well, he actually was a cheater against the Hmm. casinos in the 60s and 70s and got hired by the casinos to train people to catch people like himself after he got out of prison. But uh, you do get a knack for it. Uh, One of the reasons why I think a lot of employers have procedures is when people are not following the procedures, you can notice it really quickly. When they're following the procedures, it's typically harder to steal. Yeah, that's interesting. So take us through your professional journey then. What led you to where you are today? Well, uh, I was working in the casino industry for a long time. I got married, decided to go back to school. I hadn't got my bachelor's degree. I went back pretty much just to get a degree so I could move up in the casino industry. While I was doing that, my first child was born, and she had some medical complications. Uh, She's disabled. And the Mm -hmm. Las Vegas area was just not suitable for her medical needs at that time. I mean, this is about 20 years ago, so Mm -hmm. Vegas was still growing to what it is now. Um, So I had to make a career choice of what I wanted to do. It's like, well, if I don't do this, I'd rather do some sort of uh, prosecution. So I moved to Texas. I moved to Dallas-Fort Worth area and went to law school. I graduated in 2009, which was about the worst time you could graduate law school because of the economy. (laughs) Ended up working in Amarillo for three years, uh, which I loved. I loved it up there. It was uh, lots of good people, and I got a a nice taste of everything you could possibly think of under the law. Came to Houston and Harris County when a spot opened up here, uh, mainly because my daughter's medical was better suited down here, and it's a big office where I can specialize. So what is your day-to-day like these days? What sort of things take up your time? Most days, uh, it depends on the day. We typically go to court early in the mornings. Uh, I don't have any court scheduled for a couple hours, so I have some time available this morning. But typically, we're either doing court in the morning or sometimes we're assisting on investigations. For example, um, like last week, I brought somebody in uh, that was already charged they came in and they wanted to talk because they realized that uh, the people that recruited them are much more responsible than they are. And so they wanted to try and cooperate in order to get a better sentence. So we do a lot of, uh, do a lot of talking with people, a lot of investigative work, mostly assisting investigators. We don't do the investigation ourselves. It's like, like law and order. We just prosecute the cases they bring us. So, I see. And what sorts of things are being pursued? I mean, can you give us some insights as to, you know, what are the things, the, the, the types of scams that, that folks like yourself feel uh, rise to the level that, that it's worth pursuing them? My position got started about five years ago because there were a lot of lower level cases that just weren't being pursued. The FBI uh, had the cases, they investigated them, but the U.S. Attorney's Office was shorthanded, didn't have enough people, and they just were, they had to have a cutoff point of what they were accepting. So we started, they started bringing those cases to me at the state level, and those were, you know, business email compromise, romance scams. Most of them were a lower level. Uh, lower level for a BEC is under a million. So, uh, hmm. but in uh, the state of Texas, any uh, value-based crime of $300,000 or more is a first-degree felony. So it's, you can have some serious consequences. Right now, we've been seeing a lot of uh, different uses for money mules, uh, particularly in check washing and cashing seems to be the, hmm. le- uh, the latest trend. 
people stealing mail from the outside mailboxes, washing the checks, some sort of chemical, and then recruiting money mules to uh, open up accounts, cash the checks, and forward the money on. Still see a lot of uh, money mules being used for BEC and romance scams. Uh, occasionally, we do get money mules that have been scammed themselves uh, that really aren't benefiting from the crime. Typically, if you are not benefiting from the crime in some monetary way, we're probably not going to prosecute you. It just—it's uh, a situation that's uh, you know case by case. Yeah. I think there's a perception out there that a lot of these sorts of crimes are coming from folks who are overseas. I mean, to what degree is is this a, a local issue where, you know, local people are going after other local people? The local people going after local people is actually increasing quite a bit because it's easier to learn how to do these scams now. You can buy a kit online, go on the dark web or certain uh, Facebook uh, group chats. You can buy a kit and learn how to scam your neighbor. Uh, typically, most of these scams, uh, I'll give you an example of a case that I had that was a, we've closed out all the cases on it now. It started about four years ago. Airline company was buying another airplane from another company. Money was sent here to Houston. Five different people were prosecuted at the lowest level. We prosecuted those five people all locally. They get us the four people above them in the chain. We prosecuted all of them. They gave us the three people above them all on the chain, and all of these people are local. One of the three in the top gave us the actual hacker who is in Nigeria. So um, a lot of the organization is at the local level because these crimes really don't work unless you have some way to monetize it, and that's what they're doing with the money mules. So they're using money mules to monetize it. Do you work in collaboration with the FBI? Yes. Uh, uh, the FBI has a uh, cybercrimes task force with the Houston Police Department uh, where Houston police officers are embedded with them, and they bring me stuff all the time. Uh, I also get stuff from the postal inspectors, uh, occasionally stuff from the U.S. Treasury, Secret Service. There's, uh, I think, 82 local law enforcement agencies in Harris County, uh, the sheriff's office, we got constables, all these little cities that have their own police departments. A lot of the smaller departments, we will help them uh, when they get these cases because they usually uh, get them and have no clue what they're looking at. So we'll, And the FBI and Houston Police Department have been very good in assisting a lot of these lower agencies, lower, not lower agencies, but just lower knowledge agencies right. in doing these scams. What about the the judges? Uh, how up to speed are they when it comes to these sorts of things? Do you find yourself having to explain things, or are we at the point now where they're up to you know, they know what's going on? The judges aren't uh, are pretty are pretty savvy with the the basic knowledge. Grand juries are the most interesting because uh, you know it's twelve people off the streets that are sitting there in a room and they they decide whether there's going to be an indictment or not. Every time there's a new grand jury, I go down and uh, talk to them and just give them a 10-minute introduction to what I do and how it affects the community, and then I'll start going into the cases. And then, while that grand jury is in session, I'll go back to them during that time. Uh, with the judges, it's hit or miss. I mean, the vast majority of them uh, have a good base knowledge or want to know more. There is some differences in 
approaches to how they handle the crimes, but uh, generally everybody has a good knowledge of it. I see. Do you feel as though you and your colleagues are, are making a dent in what's going on down there? Is it, Do you have the resources you need to make a difference? Right now, we do need more resources, uh, but it's it's been growing exponentially every year. When I started five years ago, nobody had been prosecuting the lower-level offenders here in the Houston area for some time, and we actually saw a drop the first year we had this position going because people started looking elsewhere to send to use money mules and stuff. Uh, of course, that only lasted about a year before the just the volume of cybercrime overtook it. And since then, we've stayed pretty much the same level. But in like my department, we typically have, uh, like it's, it's myself, I'm also part of the financial crimes division, which usually consists of about 15 attorneys. Uh, right now, uh, we're at 10 attorneys. But each one of those 10 attorneys has a case that could be considered a cybercrime. It's just taking over all of financial crimes. You know, there's some sort of cybercrime aspect. What are your recommendations for folks who are looking to protect themselves, you know, based on the things that, that you see every day here? Are, are, are there suggestions you have for folks? Never, ever, ever accept money on behalf of somebody else. Don't, hmm. don't let them transfer money to your bank account. In most states, I believe all, but I'm not 100% sure, uh, engaging in the business of money transmission is a felony. You're basically acting as a banker without a license. I also tell people if you get uh, friend requests from somebody that you don't know, uh, do a reverse image search, uh, especially if somebody is, meets you on social media and then wants to get you off social media. Most social media platforms are actually decent at finding scammers. They'll usually uh, detect somebody as a possible scammer within three weeks to a month and kick them off. So a lot of these people will try and get you onto a different platform like Discord or WhatsApp or something else where they can communicate. Uh, the final thing would be to freeze your credit. Uh, that's one thing that I did a few years ago after I had a couple of identity theft scares. It's kind of a pain if you're going to apply for something. You had to remember to unfreeze all your credit for 24 hours or so. But I haven't had a single problem since I've done that. Joe, what do you think? I'm really glad Keith did this interview. Uh, Keith is actually one of my LinkedIn connections. Ah, uh, very nice. From, uh, from a while ago. A uh, couple couple episodes ago, I talked about somebody named Keith, and I didn't want to give any last names, but uh, that was Keith Houston, <laughs> who sent that in. Okay. Uh, it was uh, He was commenting on the scams that we didn't understand how they were going on, if you remember that. Ah, then all right. He was very illuminating. Yes. But first off, and the other thing I wanted to say is that it, the story about how he got into his current position is very interesting. Mm -hmm. I love this, how he started off washing dishes at a casino, worked his way up into casino security, mm -hmm. and eventually went on to get a law degree and uh, is now a prosecutor in Houston, Texas. Yeah. Which is great for a guy named Houston to be in Houston, <laughs> Texas. Right. It's, it's a, it's a kid's kismet. <laughs> right. Uh, I, I like what he's talking about the casino scams. You know, these casino ga scams have a glamour to them, right? Because we all think immediately like Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Uh, but they're really just the same thing as regular scams. They're just done in the casino because that's where people have money or cash or chips that are essentially the same as cash. Right. Fungible assets. Um, the drop and, drop and grab scam that he talks about where someone drops a $5 bill and then another person reaches in and grabs all the coins from the uh, slot machine. Uh -huh. 
that is absolutely something that would have worked on me. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's, that's one of the ones I would have been susceptible to. Oh, look at that. Did I drop $5? Let me pick that up. Mm-hmm. Uh, or just getting my attention turned away from uh, something. That would, I would have lost whatever I had in that bucket. Yeah. Uh, which would probably have happened anyway because I'm at a casino and casinos <laughs> don't make money by giving away money. Right, right. Um, Keith makes an interesting point here about uh, people following the procedure in a casino mm-hmm. and that it's harder to steal when they, when they follow the procedure and easy to spot when they don't follow the procedure. Mm. Uh, I've seen some pretty creative uh, thieving from, uh, from casinos in on uh, these years ago, I think on Discovery Channel or something like that. Somebody made sleeves that fit over top of the chips oh. that had a different value. Oh, that's interesting. So they would put like $100 chips in to the sleeve, and then they somebody would say, uh, can you give me uh, five $20 chips for this uh, this $100 chip? Mm-hmm. And then they'd get back like $500 chips. Hmm. And then they could do that all night. But the dealer had to be in on the scam. Mm-hmm. Um, but so, yeah, that does – uh, those things are always interesting to me, and I, I'm, I'm always fascinated by it. Yeah, I remember I have a friend who was a banker, and he there was a similar scam where – People would cut the corners off of $20 bills and paste them onto dollar bills and, and get change from tellers that way. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> um, it's interesting to hear that, uh, that when Keith talks about business email compromise, that anything under a million dollars is lower level than business email compromise. Mm-hmm. And that, that, Speaks to what I was saying uh, back in the catch of the day that the business email compromise is a huge money maker for these people. Yeah, uh, it is. It's big, and I'm glad to hear that it's three hundred thousand dollars to become a felony in Texas. Mm. Um, scammers still need money mules, and that makes sense. You need to have infrastructure in the areas where you're scamming these people out of their money. Uh, however, that is, you're, you're going to need to move that money around somehow. And I'm glad to hear that they do not prosecute people who don't profit from it. Something else that he says here is that essentially all financial crime now has a cyber element to it. Mm. So it's still the same crimes. It's just now it's all being done at some point in time over the internet. Right. Uh, And that makes sense because that's how we all communicate on a regular basis. It's safer too. I think you're, you're less likely to get punched in the mouth. (laughs) Right. Right? I mean, literally it's it's that simple. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a good point. Yeah. I'm less likely to, to, uh, to get arrested physically while mm-hmm. I'm trying to perpetrate the scam. Right. You know, those things, those are all valid points. Yeah. I like, uh, I like Keith's list of suggestions. It's only three that he lists out here, but never take money on behalf of someone else. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is a bad idea. If you take money, it's because <laughs> of you. It's for you. Uh, look for the platform change. We say this frequently. Uh, and Keith points out that the, the major social media sites are pretty good at picking out uh, scams, scam accounts. So what do they do? They try to get you to an end-to-end encrypted app so that they're, the, they can't be kicked off that platform nearly as easily. Yeah. Uh, so that's where they do their scamming. And finally, freeze your credit, which makes it really hard for you to get a loan, but it also makes it hard for someone to get a loan in your name. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So just, you just have to remember, oh, yeah, I froze my credit. I got to go out and unfreeze it while I apply for this loan. Right, right, yeah. You can't... Uh... Maybe spontaneously apply for that credit card. Right. <laughs> Which might Which be might, a good thing also. Might be a good thing. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Absolutely. 
All right. Well, again, our thanks to Keith Houston for uh, joining us. We really do appreciate him sharing his expertise and uh, certainly what is a a unique perspective. And, of course, uh, we're happy that he listens to the show as well. Mm -hmm. So thanks very much. We want to thank all of you for listening. And, of course, we want to thank our sponsors at Know Before. They are experts in helping users do the right thing through new school security awareness training. That is our show. We want to thank Harbor Labs and the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at harborlabs.com and isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.